I want to, um, if you were here last week, I spoke on Galatians. And uh, I want to kind of try and dovetail uh, today into that a little bit. But I'm going to um, change gears slightly. I hope at the end it all sort of ties in a little bit. So if you've got notes from last week and you're kind of following the thread. Um, this week I, I want to talk, I want to talk about Saul Paul. And the reason why I say Saul Paul is we think that he was Saul pre-conversion and then Paul immediately went, and it's not actually the case, his, his name was Saul Paul from the beginning. It's just probably a wise move to be, to be known as Paul. <laughs> just makes sense for some bizarre reason um, after his encounter with Jesus. So uh, for those of you who like titles, and today is called Saul, Paul and the Cannonball. Saul, Paul and the Cannonball. I don't have a picture for it. let's go to the word first up our main text from today is going to be Acts 9 if you've got a Bible you can follow along if you don't we're going to put it up on the screen for you reading from the NIV Acts 9 chapters 1 to 22 meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples he went to the high priest this is in Jerusalem and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way is what they were calling the early Christians at the time. They called them the way. I love that, personally. I am the way. They called them the way. I think that's fantastic. Anyway. Who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey. So fast forward a little bit. I'll come back and explain that. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This next bit's a little odd. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Paul didn't say, who are you, Lord, like we might say it. Who are you, Lord? When we say Lord, we're referring to Jesus. He didn't, persecuting Jesus, persecuting the Christians, Perhaps he didn't even, he thought they were just an annoyance. He doesn't then turn around and go, who are you, Lord? He said that because light from heaven, falling down, big loud voice, associate, he associates with deity. So saying, who are you, Lord? Who are you? What deity is talking to me? Jesus said, sorry, Saul asked, I am Jesus who, am you, who, who you are persecuting. Jesus said, now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I kind of find that pretty funny. Like, That's a really tame version of going, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Like, you sure you want me to do this? Because this guy stands around and gives approval to the way being killed. (laughs) 
But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my, my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, I love that. That's obedience, isn't it? That's just like, bang. You said it, I'll do it, I'll go there. And the first word out of my mouth is brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Those same synagogues he was going to rip people of the way out of, he's now preaching in. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. There's, this is not the first time we uh, hear about Saul Paul. Um, the first time we hear about it is, uh, it's like a little, you know how if you go onto YouTube now and in between the songs you want to listen to, they have little teasers, little teasers of a movie. There's a little trailer teaser where Luke mentions Saul just prior to, it's in Acts 7, 57 to 8, 1. And this is following the stoning of Stephen. So Stephen stands up in the presence of the Sanhedrin, which are the highest Jewish council in Jerusalem. So the heavies, heavy, heavyweight guys, politically and in terms of religion, which were kind of one and the same back in the day. Stephen gets up and does a stirring, amazing speech, incredible, about who Jesus is. And right at the end, we pick up on Acts 7, 57, 8 to 1. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, this is the Sanhedrin, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's put in there because the laying of your coat at this guy Saul is kind of saying, look, he's with us. He might not have been. We don't know if he was part of the Sanhedrin, part of this group, which is like largely pharisaical. But we do know that by putting our coats near this young man, it means that he's kind of approving of this. He's with us. We trust him. That's a sign of trust. Lay your coats there. That's why Luke says it. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. I've, I've, um, I wanted to just give you that little backstory because there's something, there's something in it that if, even in that, tiny little snippet, the little teaser trailer that we get about Saul Paul. There's still something in there, and you might be shocked at this, there's still something in there to like. I know that's weird. And there's something in there about this first little verse that we just read before at the beginning of Acts 9 that makes me think, you know, God saw something in Saul Paul that he thought, I can use this. I can use this. And that's why I've sort of called this Saul Paul and the cannonball because I kind of think Saul Paul is a bit like a cannonball 
in terms of his personality, in terms of what he was like. He's kind of a bull-at-the-gate sort of guy. I, I, I think this because in Acts 9, 1 to 2, he, it, it shows you a little picture of how determined one person can be when they fully believe in something. <laughs> he goes to the chief priests to get letters so that he can go to Damascus to drag the way out and bring them all the way back. The chief priests are in Jerusalem. Damascus is 240 kilometers away from Jerusalem. That's commitment. That's not just somebody who's like, oh, the way, the way, they're a bunch of idiots. Oh, I can't be bothered. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll peter out. Damascus is 150 miles away, 241 kilometers. It's like, to give you perspective, that's like walking from getting letters here from the powers that be and walking, because there's no cars, to Port Macquarie (laughs) to go into the synagogue to get the people of the way and bring them all the way back here. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty committed anger. You have to remain angry for 241 kilometers. That's hard to do. There's something to like here about this man, even though it's kind of weird and counterbalanced. But he doesn't give up. The reason why I say that is because he almost gets all the way before he has an encounter with Jesus. He doesn't sort of get to Urala and then have an encounter with Jesus. He gets to war hope. Yeah? Now, I'm thinking, if this was me, in order to stay focused, just me, I might need a podcast Reminding me to stay focused on my anger. Don't let it... I might need some people along the way just to randomly punch me in the face. <laughs> stay focused, that's what you dastardly plan. Good on you. Can you sign my rock? You know, just like at different periods. Maybe in your rally, there's just some farmer just punch you in the face. <laughs> stay focused, Paul. Stay angry. You know, you might want to take your mother, your controlling mother with you, who for the whole way... Wants to know when you're going to settle down with some nice angry girl and produce her some nice angry grandchildren. And by the time you get there, you just ah! get some ill-fitting underpants that have just ridden up for 240 kilometers. A combination of all these things to stay angry, but not Paul, not Saul. This guy fully believes in what he's doing. Yeah? It needs redirection. I think this is a picture of a a cannonball kind of a person. Yeah? Wreaks havoc. But there's cannonball cannonball traits there. When when I was in, uh, I cut my teeth in youth work in the Northern Territory, and when I was doing that, sometimes I'd come across, like we might take 10 or 14 of uh, the most at-risk young men and women at a particular school or in and out of juvie or on the streets and that kind of thing. We'd, we'd do um, uh, like outdoor ed activities, sailing, rock climbing, canoeing, camping, all that kind of thing as a way, a form of healing. So during the process of that 10 weeks where we had them, we'd sort of work with them and, um, you know, culminating in this big camp so they had something to aim for. Anyway, you come across these kids and they're often bigger in stature uh, and the other kids would look up to them 
And I remember this one kid, he's, funnily enough, his name is Daniel, and I'm not trying to, this isn't, and it's not about me, it really isn't. You're thinking, oh, that's not a very veiled story. This is about you. No, it isn't. His name just happened to be Daniel, but Daniel was a bigger kid, and all the other kids kind of looked up to him. So the problem was, though, uh, that they'd look up to him if they were going to go break into the local shop, or they'd look up to him if they were going to go give their teacher what for, or they'd look up to him if they were going to go smash this window. So I I sort of got alongside him, and, and the first thing I said was, you're a natural leader, because in youth group, anyone who worked in youth group, you know, if you walk into a school and go, right, got all you 10 kids because you're the worst kids here, what do they do? They live up to it and then they push that boundary even further. That's right, I'm the worst kid here. You watch how bad I can be, you know. So I got alongside this kid and said, you're a natural leader. You've got natural skills and abilities because you did. But I said, they just need a bit of a bump. And that's what I see this little passage about, about the Saul, Paul and the conversion on the road to Damascus, that he had natural ability. It's not like when, when Saul met Jesus, he became a completely different person. In, in many respects, yes, new mind, new heart, new direction, totally different track, yes. However, I think there were things there prior to that that God's going, I can use this guy. He's a cannonball, but I want him to be my cannonball. He has endurance. He has tenacity. He doesn't give up. But I need to interject because he's not going to interject by himself. I need to stop this guy in dramatic fashion. So he did. So Saul is not far from Damascus when Jesus meets him on the road. So he's traveled all that way. He's got to war hope. Really angry. (laughs) Focused on destruction. Being punched in the face to remain angry. His reply to Jesus, oh, sorry, we've already said that. I'm just going to say, it just seemed weird to me. They said, who are you, Lord? But we've already crossed that. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I, I read this and I kind of go, nothing else is said, but I'm thinking, if I just encountered Jesus, the Lord, Savior, on the road, amazing light, voices, freaking me out, I can't see anything, what are the conversations that I'm going to be having with him over the next three days? Because sometimes we just read that and we think, oh, Paul had no training and he didn't, you know, and it just says he was baptized and da 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 But I'm thinking, wow, if you've had an encounter like that and then you're not eating, you're not drinking, so your focus is really on what's going on. You can't see anything. There's not much to do but to listen, yeah? I would love to know what was spoken between him and God in those three days. Serious God business transforms Saul. So going back to the analogy, and this is why I wanted to talk about the cannonball side of it a little bit. These are some of the things that I see in Saul Paul pre his encounter with Jesus. So pre his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Saul Paul is reactionary. The analogy and the picture that I've got in my head, because pictures work really well for me, I work in pictures, is an old school sailing ship. And there's, there's cannons on the deck or on the second, you know, second deck or whatever it is. 
And if those cannonballs next to them aren't tethered in a receptacle, aren't restrained, then the cannonball reacts to the, the role of the ship. It's reactionary. Saul is, you know, how many people know that when someone's really angry, they get very reactionary. They just react to whatever's said at the moment, and sometimes it gets completely irrational. Like some of the things that angry people say, I've heard it in myself before. It's ridiculous. It's shameful, and I get back to it later and go, I said that, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. It reacts. It reacts to the movement of the vessel. It's still destructive as a cannonball, but its effect is very limited. Next one. There's wasted focus. When a, when a cannonball is untethered, so if you just think for the minute for this next little while, just think picture cannonball, cannons on a ship sort of thing. It might help and then we'll, we'll tie it in later. When something is untethered, it causes destruction within. It's wasted focus. It requires that other things and other people on the vessel have to get out the way to accommodate its out-of-control rampaging path or be crushed and damaged. It may even roll over something or someone who's vulnerable who then sticks to it and gets caught up in the destructive, out-of-control, reactionary path that this cannonball is on. Let's say you have more than one unrestrained reactionary cannonball on a ship and they damage the ship, they damage each other, they crash into things. There's still damage there, but unfettered and unrestrained and unsubmissive, it's damaging the vessel it's on. Next one. Thanks, Steve. It can be lost altogether. Rolling around on the deck of a ship, if the ocean swell is big enough... The ship leans enough. There's nothing to stop the cannonball simply rolling clean off the side and being lost. And then it really is lost because it's just on the bottom of the ocean floor, rusting and corroding. It's not good for anything. Up until the point that it actually falls off the edge of the vessel, it can still be caught. It can still be used. But if it's rolling so much and reacting so much to whatever's going around it, if it rolls clean off the edge, that's it. Next one. Thanks, Steve. Unfettered, unrestrained, untethered cannibals are not doing what they're designed for. Their full potential is unrealized and wasted. There's hints of what they could do. Because they, that rolls over your toe, it really hurts. <laughs> It's painful. Smashes into your ankle. That really hurts. It hits this group of barrels over here. They go rolling and people have to scatter and be distracted from what they're doing on the vessel to, you know, run around after this unrestrained cannonball. There's hints of what it can do, but nothing compared to what it could do if it was used for its intended purpose and intended receptacle. Is that the right word? Receptacle. Next one. Thanks, Steve. An inanimate focus, it has an inanimate focus because no one has lit the fuel. I did some research on cannibals back because I was thinking, are they just a lump of lead like this and that would be bad enough? Or can you light them? Yeah. You can light them. 
yeah, there, there is just lumps of lead, and you can like take out a mast or something. There's ones that are look like two cannonballs linked by a chain, and they fire that out, and that takes out the mast. There's ones that have a steel bar between them, and when the centrifugal force fires them, the bar elongates, so it can take out a mast and a couple of guys. Now that's there's also ones that you can light, and it right back in the sailing ship days, they had ones that you can light the fuse. An untethered, unrestrained cannonball has a limited effect because there's no one to light it. It's just rolling around. It's not been lit. It's not been lit up. It's not been put in a receptacle that it was designed for. It's a pretty random kind of havoc kind of thing. Saul the cannonball was limited by his own energy reserves or his own reactionary reserves and by his own agenda and anger. Saul's effectiveness pre-encounter with Jesus was limited. And we have a very small account of it. There's only a couple of sentences. When you think for a second, his Saul, his, his conversion, this is him before the conversion that we know about. Afterwards, what do we know about Paul? Oh my gosh. His effect still continues to this day. Prior to that, we have two sentences. I'm sure there's more that he did, but meh. Post-conversion, I'm going to flip over to the good stuff. Post-conversion. Saul's still like a cannonball. That's my big point here. Saul is still a cannonball. But now, thanks Steve, next one. Now he's ready and waiting. He's in his proper place. So he can be easily found and used in a way that he was designed to be used. He's still got all the bull at the gate attributes and qualities and skills and talents that he had prior to that encounter with Jesus. But now he's submitted. Now he's ready. Now his attitude is, and I I say it lots of times and I'll say it again, stand to attention. What will you have me do? Next one. Thanks, Steve. He's proactive and targeted. Whereas before he's just reactionary, reacting to the lower ship. Crash into stuff, yeah, but you don't know where he's going next, and it's kind of limited anyway. Now, he's not just reacting, it's targeted and proactive, directed and effective. It's specific and it's guided. You can aim it. Doing what it's been designed to do in the receptacle it was designed for. Cannonball was made to fit in this cannon. The bore of the cannon's the right shape. It can be lit because it's been put there and the person aiming the cannon lights the fuse, bang, takes out the side of a ship, wins a battle. Next one, thanks Steve. Aimed and lit. Increases its power a hundredfold. It's effectiveness, ten, you know, thousand times of that just rolling around the deck. All those journeys... Paul took all the letters he wrote and his his influence reverberates today we're sitting here today when we read large a large chunk of the new testament written by this guy and we're still learning from him because he submitted because he was aimed because he was lit next one it's in submission that Paul is released into his full potential. 
We, we live in a culture where the opposite is said. You don't tell me what to do. I'm free. Really? And Jesus says what? I have come so that you might have life and have it till its fullest. Is that not real freedom? Prior to, remember last week, um, I gave a bit of an analogy of the difference between if we're trying to plug into our own resource, it's a bit like carrying a reservoir on our backs and we've got to tap that reservoir, but we have to do all the work to be in the right place at the right time and make sure there's water coming in and have I got enough and I won't water this park because I don't have enough. But versus the analogy of, of holding onto a hose that's plugged into a dam reservoir wall at 100 metres high and behind it is a massive inexhaustible resource that we did not put there. That's a bit like Saul pre-conversion and Saul post. Jesus said, lose your life and you'll find it. Saul lost his life and he found it. And because of his, he could have fought it, I guess, and we'd never have heard about him, but he didn't. He submitted to it. And here we are today. He's one of our heroes. He's one of these great cloud of witnesses that's gone before us. Now, Paul, fired from a cannon, can cover large distance and turn a battle. If you think for a second, multiply the amount of submitted cannonballs and cannons and you can sink an armada. That's effective. That's effective. But when we are choosing to be reactive and untethered, it damages us. It damages us. It damages the vessel that we're on. We get damaged by it and we never reach our full potential. We might think we do, but in comparison to being submitted to Jesus... In common union. I always say common union. People are like, why don't you just say communion? Because I love that communion comes from common union. That's beautiful. I love that imagery. I'm a big imagery kind of person. To common union. To be in common union with Jesus. To stand to attention rather than rolling everywhere. And go, here I am. You know where to find me because I've chosen to humble myself. Be restrained. Allow myself to be tethered and anchored. Am I suggesting we're all cannonballs? Yet no. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, we are. Everybody's a cannonball. No. Um, what am I trying to say? You and I have enormous God-given, God-planted potential in us. It's not that your strengths and gifts and talents, you might be a cannibal-esque person. Good on you, that's awesome. Be a cannibal for God. You might be quiet and reserved and somebody who's gentle at nature. That's wonderful. Be that for God. You might be somebody who's good at speaking. Awesome. Speak for God. You might be somebody with a gift of... I know people who are friends of mine who aren't Christian who've got this beautiful thing about hospitality. I love that. Imagine how many gears it could go up. Yeah? If they realize the giver of that gift wants to use it to multiply 
that in that person 10,000 times, 100 times. If you're sitting here today and you're kind of on the fence about Jesus and you're not quite sure, I'd almost guarantee that your friends around you can see hints and whispers, hints and whispers that are already there. Can I encourage you, by faith, hand those hints and whispers, hand your life over to the author of the one who put those hints and whispers in you in the first place. We think sometimes we have this, uh, our society perceives um, Christianity as just another one of the smallest borders of religions that you can choose from. Um, and knock yourself out. But the general kind of consensus is that religion is restrictive. I actually agree with that statement. Religion is restrictive. Relationship with Jesus is freeing. It's freeing. Oh my gosh, on so many levels is it freeing. It's also something that is fulfilling you. We have this process called sanctification. It's the process of becoming more, it's, you know, perfect, holy, set apart, more Christ-like. It's not finished yet, yeah? We're in it. But even the process is freeing. <laughs> even the process. It does take something on our part, and that is to go, I surrender, to bow the knee. Last week, we talked about Galatians being a letter about being fully alive and fully free to produce good fruit, provided we are grafted into the source. That's the tie-in from last week. This is very much not a, it's not a reprimand. I'm reprimanding all you cannibals. It's not about that. It's about going, whatever you are, whether you're cannibal-esque or gentle or whatever, graft into the source. Paul had natural talents that were cannibal-esque. He was purpose-built. But his effect was not fully realized until he used he was used in the canon for which he was designed. Aimed and lit and directed and effective. And because of that, his influence still continues. I might just get if there's any musos that oh, thanks, Kesh. Um, what I want to do just before we wrap up, and I, I know it's a bit short today. Kes is going to talk to you a bit after and we'll have a chance to give to our hampers of hope. I want to give you a few how-tos. I can't remember, Steve, did I give you these in dot point or not? I did? Here we go. Okay, how-tos. How then do we transition from reacting to the role of a ship? And this is not just, also, by the way, this is not just for people who are sitting here still wondering if they want to be a Christian or not. Sometimes, even as Christians... If we're not recalibrating every day, if we're not tightening up our walk with Jesus, we can be just reactionary. We, can, we don't even realize sometimes. And that's the bit where that's about you and God, actually going to God after day and going, Father, what are the areas in my life that I have failed to be submissive into you? When I say submissive, it's a dirty word in our culture. Not submissive to me, not submissive to Dan Saunders, Submissive to Jesus, because it's still, like I said last week, it's still about taking up your cross. If we come here with an agenda that is ours, 
and we're not willing to submit to God. There's a sense that, yes, you submit to your leaders, but in the sense that you trust your leaders are listening to God. Yeah? If we've come here and we realize, oh my gosh, I've actually just react to everything. I've actually just been rolling around hurting people and smashing into ankles and taking up time because others have to put down what they do to go and run around after this thing. So the first thing is we can learn from Paul in the how do we transition from reacting to the role of ship to realizing full First thing, encounter with Jesus. For some here today, that might be, I haven't had that yet. Can I encourage you, please come and speak to one of the prayer team or one of the leaders after the service. If, you're, if there's something in your heart that's going, I want that. Please come and talk to me or one of the leaders or prayer team. They're going to be out the front after the service. First thing, Paul had an amazing encounter with Jesus. Next thing. Be around the church or the way. Paul spent, it says, before he went out preaching, he spent X amount of weeks with the disciples, learning from them, talking to them. I'm sure he was winning their trust, yeah, as well as learning and being around. Be around the church. I don't mean come here and look at the building. (laughs) This is the church. Rub shoulders with members of the church who've been walking this. Ask them questions. Be around the church. Paul was around the church. He had an encounter. He was around the church. Next one. Thanks, Steve. Daily plug into the Bible. Let me tell you what I do personally in the, on this level. And I'm a shocker at this, okay? I'm not naturally someone who gets up at 5 a.m., goes for a prayer walk and there are people in this church who do that and I take my hat off to them because that's amazing but me naturally I'm not naturally somebody who has the exact same little window of time every single day and does the you know I'm not naturally I'm not that way but what I do do is I do open the word sometimes it's not that much each day or I if that's sort of too hard in my mind's unfocused and I'm not like a flip the Bible open and just put my finger where the, you know, you know, most of the time I'm actually, I, I use a little devotional to help me because I'm not a very focused person. I realize what I'm not, so I put in the place of things. You know, David, sorry, a little aside, David says, oh, my soul. He's telling himself, get in line. I resonate with that because that's me. Do it. Don't hear me. I'm not saying legalism. I'm not saying religion. But if you're someone who wanders all over the shop, who finds it hard, then get creative about how you do that. I find it hard to open the Word every day, so I use a devotional. It helps me open the Word. It helps unpack it. It's my way of going, oh, my soul. Dan, recalibrate. Do what it takes. Do what it takes. There'll be days that I don't do this, you know. 
the high council aren't going to come down on me and phone me up, the Sadducees, tell me what for. And even if they did, they go, yep, yep, you know what, I didn't. However, I'm under grace, not law, so. Amen. Thank you. Just let know. I didn't actually do what you thought I might have. Okay. Giving one's life to Jesus. Yes, you might have a specific moment in time, and that's great. That's wonderful. But for me personally, people ask you when you become a Christian, and I know I've said this before. I say when I was 10 and this morning. I don't mean in the sense that every day I ceased, um, like by the end of each day I'm an atheist again. That's not what I'm saying. What what I'm saying is that it wasn't just a moment in time and then it's sweet coasting it. Every day I choose or I don't choose to recalibrate. Every day. Every day I choose to be a fettered cannibal, a restrained cannibal for use. Last one. submit so we've got encounter with Jesus be around the way daily recalibrate, come back come back every day and submit and in submission in the beautiful act of bending the knee there is freedom submit your life to the one who knows you best and is able to release you to your full potential. Lay it down. You're not at the helm. I'm not at the helm. We have a captain at the helm of the ship. We're more like deckhands. Come up and we ask our captain, here I am, sir. What is it that you will have me do? And then we do it. Guess what? In the process of laying down your life, will and your dreams your agenda your desires you will find that the God who said that he has come to give you life and life in all its fullness is true to his word so if you're a cannibal be a cannibal for Jesus I love that in His grace and mercy, when we encounter Him in a real way, He uses what's already there. <laughs> I love that even when we read the verses about, about Saul, which are post, uh, pre-conversion, we just want to rip his head off. But Jesus, well, I can use this guy. Because you know, He's not quitting now. I've got to interject. But you know what? He's not going to quit when I've got Him. What a great thing. What a great thing. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful that in your great grace and mercy, you didn't just sort of see Saul Paul and go through with him and just flick him off the face of the earth because he was getting annoying. In your great grace and mercy, which is extended, the same great grace and mercy extended to each one of us. 
You feel this guy is an unrestrained cannonball. Oh, how I want to encounter him so that it would be my cannonball. If there's anyone in this room today, I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray a really simple prayer. And I just ask that you pray it with me if this is where your heart is at. Jesus, I've been doing my own thing. I've been reacting to hurt. I've been reacting to the role of a ship. Different waves hitting it. And there are reasons for that. I don't want to just react anymore. I don't want to just go through life not realizing full potential of who you've made me to be. So instead of demanding that you stop the role of the ship or you stop the storm, I'm asking that you stop me. Pick me up before I roll clean off the side because I humble myself now waiting in due time for you to lift me up, not the other way around. Dear Jesus, I want to stop the process now of rolling around and damaging things on the deck of a ship. I submit to you. Please use me. Use what you've put in me. Use what you've authored in me and bring it about to perfection and completion so that you can use that I want to get to my life, the end of my life, and not hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not interested in hearing, well, you made it. I don't want to stumble across a finish line. I want to run through that tape. Help me to know that the process of us submitting to you is not legalism, is not religion, is not a bunch of rules. It's actually really liberating. When we give our lives to you. Please speak to me today.